Hello and good day. This is the Bible Bard. A bard is a storyteller who recites traditional texts associated with a particular oral tradition. I'm here to recite and to amplify what the literature of the Bible says about who is God and who are human beings. Here's the place we are at today. In this lesson, we're looking at what the Bible teaches about sex uh, in the case of rape. Sex is such a powerful force in human life, so the Bible has a lot to say about it. And because this topic is so charged with static electricity, I've divided it into four podcasts. The first, Lesson 42, was about sex and marriage. In Lesson 43, we looked at sex within the extended family. In Lesson uh, 44, we looked at single gender sex and sex with non-humans. And today we're looking at the idea of rape. God created sex, so talk that attempts to link the Bible to puritanical ideas about sex is foolish. A loving God who loves men and women created sex, and yet has been maligned by those with unbiblical views of this subject. In this podcast, we shall see some of what the Bible teaches about sex, in particular rape, which is sex that is non-consensual. Non-consensual sex or sex outside of marriage or rape, as stated in Lesson 42, Sex and Marriage, God has not placed any limitation around sexual activity within marriage. However, he has indicated that sex and marriage is to be consensual. The wife and the husband must both agree about what activities are to take place. The definition of rape is that sexual activity is not consensual. In the Bible, there is a story of attempted rape of angels by the men of Sodom. See Genesis 19, verses 1 through 10. There is another story about the rape of a traveler's concubine. When a mob demanded sex with her master, he gave her to the mob instead of himself. And the gang rape was so brutal that it resulted in her death. See Judges 19, verses 20 to 28. The Bible Bard isn't going to discuss these stories today. The two rapes we're interested in in this podcast are more, can I say, traditional. The rape of Dinah, daughter of Leah by Shechem, the son of Hamor, and the rape of Tamar, sister of Absalom, son of David, by Ammon, also a son of David. These stories do not provide Bible teaching in the familiar way that we're used to, where God says, do this, or says, don't do that. Instead, the story of these two rapes is told, and we are left to draw our own conclusions about what the story means, based upon what we know of who is God and who people in the story are. Remember, the Bible is literature, so we can bring to the text the standard elements of literary criticism to understand what the text is saying. Because of space considerations, I cannot reproduce the entire 30 verses of these two stories, but here are the essential facts. Genesis 34, verses 1 through 11, the rape of Dinah. Quote, now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, had born to Jacob, went out to visit the women of the land. When Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, the ruler of that area, saw her, he took her and violated her. His heart was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the girl and spoke tenderly to her. And Shechem said to his father Hamor, get me this girl as my wife. Then Shechem's father, Hamer, went out to talk to Jacob. 
Jacob's sons were filled with grief and fury because Hesham had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing that should not have been done. Hamer said to them, My son Shechem has his heart set on your daughter. Please give her to him as his wife. Intermarry with us. Give us your daughters and take our daughters for yourself. You can settle among us. Then Shechem said to Dinah's father and brothers, I'll pay whatever you ask me. Only give me the girl as my wife. Because their sister Dinah had been defiled, Jacob's sons replied deceitfully, we will give our consent on one condition only, that you become like us by circumcising all your males. But if you will not agree to be circumcised, we will take our sister and go. Three days later, while all of them, the men of the city, were still in pain, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and attacked the unsuspecting city, killing every male, and took Dinah from Shechem's house and left. The sons of Jacob then looted the city, carried off all their women and children, taking as plunder everything in the houses. Jacob said to his sons, You have brought trouble on me. We are few in number, and if they, the other Canaanite people in the area, join forces against me and attack me, I and my household will be destroyed. But they, Dinah's brothers, replied, Should he have treated our sister like a prostitute? That ends the story of the rape of Dinah. And you should uh, look at that in full in Genesis chapter 34. Now we turn to the rape of Tamar and the Bible text about it, the story about it in 2 Samuel 13, verses 1 through 20. The text reads, quote, Ammon, the son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Ammon became frustrated to the point of illness, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to do anything to her. Ammon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king, David his father, came to see him, Ammon said to him, I would like my sister Tamar to come and make some special bread, so I may eat it of her hand. So Tamar went to the house of her brother Ammon. She took some dough, made bread, and served him the bread, but he refused to eat. Send everyone out of here, Ammon said. Then Ammon grabbed her and said, Come to bed with me, my sister. Don't, my brother, she said to him. Don't force me. Such a thing should not be done in Israel. Don't do this wicked thing. What about me? Where could I get rid of my disgrace? And what about you? You would be like one of the wicked fools in Israel. Please speak to the king, and he will not keep me from being married to you. But he refused to listen to her, and since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Then Ammon hated her with intense hatred. In fact, he hated her more than he had loved her. Ammon said to her, get up and get out. No, she said to him, sending me away would be a greater wrong than what you've already done to me. But he refused to listen to her. Tamar put ashes on her head and went away, weeping aloud. Her brother Absalom said to her, has that Ammon, your brother, been with you? And Tamar lived with her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. He, Absalom, hated Ammon because he had disgraced his sister, Tamar. Two years later, Ammon, Absalom murders Ammon. And that's the end of that story. 
Both stories are about a rape. Both stories include the phrase, such a thing should not be done in Israel. This repetition lets us know that these stories in literature are related. In the first, after the rape, the attacker who only wanted the sex falls in love with the girl he raped. In the second, after the rape, the attacker who previously thought he loved the girl now hates the girl he raped. Just as in the first story, the attacker Shechem is killed by revenging brothers of Dinah, so in the second story, the attacker Ammon is later killed by the avenging brother of Tamar, Absalom. In both stories, the lives of the girls who were raped are nevertheless ruined. There are some important differences in the story. In Dinah's case, she never speaks. Dinah was raised in a house with 12 brothers and was only around women her mother's age. No one's listening to her. So why should she speak? Tamar speaks eloquently, pleading rationally with Ammon not to force her. She is a king's daughter, and in addition to being beautiful, she is smart. However, whether speaking or silent, wicked men, for a single moment of male excitement, force them and ruin their lives. There's a lot of reason to criticize the patriarchs in both stories. Why didn't one of Dinah's brothers go with her when she went to visit other girls her age in the city? Why didn't the family at least send a servant to attend her? Both Jacob, her father, and Leah, her mother, do not seem to think through anything until after the event happens. Jacob seems very passive in the story in dealing with Hamar and his son, Shechem. It looks like he might be ready to accept the bride price and let the girl become Shechem's wife. Of course, her brothers come up with a different plan, and when they do, Jacob is silent. In Tamar's story, David, her father, the famous king of Israel, who has his own sexual peccadilloes, hasn't an inkling of the deceit behind Ammon's request for Tamar to cook for him. While David is furious after the incident comes to light, he was duped by his son. He takes no fatherly or kingly action to either discipline the guilty or comfort the afflicted. In both cases, the boys, the attackers, are violently killed by revenging brothers. And in both cases, the girls' lives are ruined. And we hear nothing more about them within the biblical text. There are people who hear about or read such stories in the Bible and wonder, how does such violence, betrayal, and horror make its way into a supposedly holy book? The Bible is both a holy book and literature. It reveals who God is, and so is holy, and reveals who human beings are, and so is literature. The two, God and human beings, can be, in a literary sense, compared and contrasted to each other. If you know who God is and what he is like and what makes him happy and what fills him with rage, you can then know who God is. You can then correctly evaluate the human beings in the story. God is our straight edge, letting us see what is crooked. Just because such tales are included in the Bible doesn't mean that God sanctions these human activities. God causes these heinous human actions or is sanctimoniously smiling from heaven like the Roman gods at this wickedness and human suffering. These two stories demonstrate something both terrible and wonderful. The terrible thing is that we have Jacob, whose name originally meant the supplanter, and his name was changed to Israel, meaning prince with God, and we have the 
man David, the man who is called after God's own heart, both guilty in these stories of deep personal failings that cause harm. Crimes are committed, lives are ruined, people die, and these favored people of God are depicted as failed people, no better than any of us. The wonderful thing is that God reaches across the great gulf between his character and them, the very best of failed humanity, to find a way to redeem everyone he can. The biblical meta-narrative of the need God recognizes to do for humanity what humanity cannot do for itself brings us to Jesus Christ. This is the way the Bible Bard works. Brief recitations, closely focused, no distractions, no rabbit trails. Follow the Bible Bard on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Send the Bible Bard any questions or remarks you care to offer to BibleBardUS at gmail.com. Glad to hear from you.